Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back in August, there was a retreat held for mothers of gun violence victims. There were prayers, group discussions, activities, gifts, and comfort. And it wasn't some community group or anti-violence organization that hosted this day. It was the hospital where their loved ones were treated. And that is just a part of its mission, as you will hear. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Last month, the city of Chicago passed the grim milestone of more than 500 homicides. Most of those people were lost to gun violence. The city crossed that threshold earlier last year, so technically this year is an improvement. But you know this violence is a problem when there was applause during Mayor Emanuel's budget speech earlier this week when he noted that the Englewood community had gone more than a week without a shooting. Which brings us to Loyola University's Medical Center in Maywood, where the doctors, medical staff, and spiritual workers have been as horrified by all the gun violence in this area as everyone else, maybe even more than some. Last year, Loyola's Level 1 Trauma Center treated 261 patients with firearms injuries. This year, we're told the facility is on track to exceed 300 gunshot victims. So Loyola's trying to do more about gun violence and do more to help victims and their families. And this week, we're going to talk about that and about what anyone can really do to affect such violence. I am joined by uh, Dr. Kristen Donaldson. She is an emergency room physician and an assistant professor at Loyola. And we also have with us Reverend Michael Hayes. He's a Pentecostal minister and overnight chaplain at Loyola University Medical Center. And uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Well, for the staff at Loyola, uh, Dr. Donaldson, uh, I gather gun violence has become more than just healing wounds. Well, in general, gun violence and violence as a whole, it it affects our communities, our workplaces. We see it day in and day out in the emergency rooms and in the hospitals, but we also realize that it's a bigger problem than just that physical injury. It not only affects the patient that we see, it affects their family, it affects their friends, and even their communities. And so it's a bigger issue than just treating that hole in that person's leg or their arm or wherever. It's a an issue, what we we consider a public health issue. We have to address it from many fronts. We have to address the physical, the mental, and the social determinants that lead to, to that injury in the first place. Uh, Reverend Hayes, uh, this is it's it's got to give the staff at the hospital uh, a kind of a feeling of wanting to do more. Yeah, I think it does, Craig, um, because after all. Um, in our emergency department, our nurses and doctors are caring for patients many times a week with some of the same um, issues 
and injuries. So over time, that can really wear on our staff. So the efforts that we're trying to do at our hospital are really, um, while they're directed at our uh, community, surrounding community, it, it also provides an opportunity for us to care for ourselves. Um, we have heard the phrase treat gun violence as a, as a public health crisis more than once. I think people hear it often now, but in practical terms, what does that mean? Well, what that means, let me, let me share our, our story uh, at Loyola. Um, when, when, when I started out at Loyola, I wasn't uh, previously at a level one trauma center, so I didn't see nearly the amount of uh, gun violence that the level one trauma centers have. I remember a very important day um, talking with my uh, fellow chaplains and saying to them, I'm overwhelmed. I'm just seeing so many gunshot victims. What should I do? Um, and it was in the aftermath of that um, confession to my other uh, chaplains that I started doing some soul searching about what I would do. What I decided to do was to become more um, intentional about being an advocate uh, against gun violence. So one of the things I did was I got active with a group called Thou Shalt Not Murder. We asked, we called for the city of Chicago if we could have a cessation of uh, murders in the city uh, for a solid 24-hour day on Easter of 2016. Um, but the other thing that I did was I started networking within the hospital. I had a really uh, pivotal conversation with uh, Dr. Seashan who's the head of our uh, emergency department. And in that conversation, we started talking about gun violence as a public health hazard. And I think that's really an effective way uh, to discuss it because gun violence, gun ownership is such a political issue, but talking about it in this term really depoliticizes the issue. It helps us all to see that we have a stake in making our city safer for everyone. No, but Dr. Donaldson, uh, what does that change about how medical facilities or even society, what does that change in how we deal with gun violence? Well, the medical institution ourselves, we, we do the physical treatment a lot of times. Sometimes we need to address some of the other issues. We need to research to understand what the risk factors are that bring about certain kinds of violence. We need to understand what things work to remediate those issues and make it so that those risk factors can be addressed. And then we need to implement those, those things. Unfortunately, in, there's not a lot of research out there, not a lot of um, programs that are evidence-based proven because there's not funding out there to do research on gun violence. Uh, we can do research, but there's actually been, in a sense, a moratorium for about 20 years on gun violence funding from like the CDC. And even the NIH has uh, laws that actually forbid them from providing funding for any research that may advocate or promote gun control. That in itself cuts off a scientist because it's saying, we don't know what your research results will be, 
But if they turn out to be this, you can't have funding. So who who's going to get funded? We don't know what the research. And if you're doing true evidence-based scientific work, you shouldn't know the result before you get to the end when it's good science. And so how do we do good science on a topic that affects so many lives and costs so much fiscally, socially, and psychologically? It's, it's hurting our people physically. It addresses whole communities get affected. And we don't, there are programs out there and there is evidence that says they may work, but we don't know if that's the best program because we don't have, there's a dearth of information and not a, a, a wealth of evidence-based knowledge. For example, car seats, motor vehicle safety, huge amounts of safety. The same amount of people die in car accidents as with gun violence each year, about. But they've made huge strides to bring that number down to that number. So what kind of strides could we make if we had that kind of funding to address violence? It sounds like you're walking kind of a tightrope about what you can do, what you can say, and... It's, it, is, is it and it's demonstrated, uh, Craig, you know, our, uh, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the advocacy that our medical doctors can bring to an issue like this. Um, there was a time when cars were not regulated with seatbelts. And it was, you know, the med, it, was, it was our doctors who said, this is not safe. This is a public health hazard. And regulation ensued, and now cars are safer to travel in. The same principles could be applied and should be applied with uh, gun um, uh, use in our country because we are, we are seeing the evidence of our neglect. Um, doctor, oh, no, you go ahead first. I was going to say, and, and like you said, it is a tightrope. But if we knew the, there's a very, it's a political hot button in many cases, but we're talking about take a step back and look at it as if violence was a disease, we would want to eradicate it. And so let's, let's address it that way. Let's address the safety issues. Let's address how to prevent our children from being in the situations that get them into violent encounters. How do we address that? And we could make a big difference, I think. You, firearm injuries, the numbers we see out there include suicides. So by nature, because of even just working with gun violence isn't the only violence out there. Most of our suicides or a large number of suicides are committed with guns. So how do we ensure safety and make sure that that's not what's and and prevent suicides and needless deaths? Is it there's multifactorial reasons. If we knew all the reasons, we would be in good shape. But we are just breaking the tip of the iceberg on what we know right now on how to prevent deaths from violence. Research aside, uh, whether you can do it or not, well, what can a hospital do, knowing what you know, uh, to make things different for the families, to make things different for the, uh, the, 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 the parents of mm-hmm. children who are getting involved in violence? Well, you know, when we, when we offer care, uh, as a chaplain, I'm trained to offer care for the patient, 
uh, for the patient's family and for our staff. With gun violence, we are also attempting to offer care for our surrounding community. Loyal is one of the only academic medical centers known to be offering compassionate responses for all kinds of violence. And that's part of our mission as part of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, you may have heard in the news uh, um, Archbishop uh, Supich is uh, really ramping up his efforts um, in the Archdiocese against uh, violence. And Loyola wants to be a, a good neighbor in our community. So a few of the things that we are trying to do uh, to, to give ongoing support, we've partnered with uh, local ministers in uh, the Maywood area, uh, the Proviso Township. Um, and those ministers, we're training some to come into the hospital to offer ongoing support after the patient leaves the hospital. We're also doing things that we can to provide care for um, the families of patients that have been killed due to gun violence. So uh, this past uh, August, we invited mothers of patients that had died in our hospital to come in for a day of reflection. And we sat with them, listened to their stories, prayed with them, cried with them, but gave them that ongoing support. And they really appreciated that. They felt like somebody's listening to us and sees that we, recognizes that we have this need. Um, Dr. Donaldson, how does this also help the staff? Because I know this is, uh, the medical staff was, uh, was very much involved in that. Uh, effort. I think the the staff feels supported. They know that they have a place to go. Efforts like Michael's uh, work and the ministry team have done. They did the the blessing in the ER was that was in early June, where we pulled together everybody that was on that day and we did a blessing for the ER as the warm weather came in and the expectations that violence kind of rises there. So that we took a stance and, and blessed our staff and our um, the patients and the families, whoever was present, and that we could get through that day and we have a place that we advocate against violence, that we're here to support you, and that we can um, provide some resources beyond just the patching up of the wounds, the physical wounds. And I think that's important to a very important part of healing. Oh, does it also help the staff to be able to feel that you are doing more for people? I mean, because it sounds like there's a frustration in only being able to treat the uh, yeah. the, the 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 wound. I I think sometimes for me, I became interested in working with youth violence and youth violence prevention long before I even went to med school. So when I was doing a master's in public health, when I started that is where I started to kind of drive this interest of working with youth and and got involved with some guy, gun violence and violence efforts. And that's where I started. And I was like, oh, this is a great, there's so much work to be done here and so bright-eyed. Then I went to med school and I get focused and now I can take care of them physically but I don't think we've done all that we can do to take care of those things that spurred me into this. Like, how do I reach the kids, young kids exposed to violence? That's a risk factor. How do I reach them so that they know that that doesn't have to be the norm and they don't have to perpetuate it moving on? 
How do I reach their families to build better support networks for within that community? Those things that drove me early that I never fully got to implement, now I'm at a position where I'd like to start working and I've got and happen to be working at an institution that we we're, we're striving to do those things. Small things, each step moving towards healing our community and making a difference. We're going to talk about some of those questions you ask in just a second. You are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about the gun violence epidemic, and my guests are emergency room Dr. Kristen Donaldson at Loyola University Medical Center in Maywood and Reverend Michael Hayes, the Loyola Medical Center chaplain, uh, one of them anyway. Uh, And uh, uh, Reverend Hayes, what is it that... Was there one thing that told you we have to do something? Yeah, that was that definitely. I, I tell the story. I've, I've been able to do um, grand rounds for our social workers and case managers. Um, I'm going to be doing another grand rounds for our psychiatry staff uh, in January. And I tell the story about the worst day uh, of my career as a chaplain and it's a very, very poignant story to me. Um, it, it was about this time last year. Um, it, it, I mean, and I can put it in context. I'm a Cubs fan, so the Cubs were down three games to one against the Indians. And I came in, it was Halloween uh, morning. I came in, it was a Monday morning. And uh, our custom as a, as a chaplain staff is we have a huddle at 9 o'clock. And the, the chaplain that comes in at 7 updates all the other chaplains on what's going on in the hospital. So the 7 o'clock chaplain shared with us the story of a young man, a boy who was 14. Uh, He was moving out of uh, Austin with his family because the neighborhood was too dangerous. And they were were in the the very act of loading up their moving van to leave. And the last thing on the van was a bed. And as the young young man, 14, uh, loaded the bed onto the moving van, he, the car came down the street and shot him several times. When he arrived in our emergency department, there was nothing the doctors could do. And that story ripped through me. And it was, it was, it was also a day, a day when I was being interviewed for Chicago Health Magazine. And uh, when we began the interview, I told the reporter, I said, none of what I'm about to say can be on the record because I'm just too upset about what I just heard and I got myself composed and we had a good interview, but it changed me and it made me see that this is the moment we must act. We cannot let uh, children be gunned down in the streets like this to, to turn our head would be to normalize that. And that's just not who we are. Dr. Kristen Donaldson, uh, I'm going to touch on, on you personally too, because uh, you are the, wife of a police officer. I am, yes. Which means, if anything, you get a, a double dose of this this kind of, uh, the, these kinds of feelings and, and hearing about these, if, treating people, but also, I'm sure, hearing about it. And it, it, it's a, a funny dynamic. We actually probably do talk about things, but when you think about it, we get the patients. I see them in one state. My husband sees them on the street, and he sees the ones that don't ever make it to us. And 
we function very well and we move forward and we do our daily job, but we both know there's an issue. I mean, I know in his head, he could tell you the numbers in Chicago right now, right off the top, probably down to the exact number because he keeps track of that and knows that it's a marker for what needs to be done to care for our community. This is our community and violence rips it apart almost daily. Mm-hmm. Um, you also, you're originally from Las Vegas. I am. I grew up there. From, I was a military child. Uh, we moved there when I was five and I lived there till I went off to college. Well, then, you know, I have to at least ask a little bit about that because, uh, yeah. the, the shootings there have to, have to have, I mean, you, you get to see it from, I mean, you must have viewed it from so many perspectives. I think it was interesting because um, that's my hometown. When I say that, it's my hometown. I haven't lived there in 20 years, but I still have a good network of friends and family there. And a number of them, when you talk to them, they say and they equate that day to like 9-11 for them. The community in Las Vegas, although... There's the glitz and the glamour and the lights and the shows and the gambling. There's actually a pretty small, tight-knit community. Everybody knows everybody, which you don't think about beyond that strip and downtown. And although I personally don't know any single person that was injured at that event, many of the people I know know people or know people that were first responders or know people that were, you know, one of my close friends' husband was the valet supervisor at the Bellagio right down the block, and he's the one that locked down their their door, it called for the lockdown because nobody knew where the shooting was coming from initially. Um, and the, the frantic phone calls, everybody that had connections, cell phones lit up at all hours. Are you okay? Were you there? Are you, you know, do you know anybody? Are your friends and family okay? So it's, that event, horrific, horrific event, brings to light and fires up everybody about gun violence and things like that. But in general, it just sh- it, it shows you it's a mass event. But we have those kind of events every day with single people, with single communities that we also have to address. We need to look at the whole picture, not only the big events, the little events that add up to the big events in the long run, too. Reverend Hayes. I know you're not a medical uh, doctor, but I'm going to ask you for a prescription for addressing this and not getting political. In other words, how can this, is there any way to get through the kinds of things that need to be done without touching off a political powder keg? Well, I would say this, Craig. I believe that all politics must be local if we want to affect change. I think that this is the kind of issue that calls on everyone of conscience, conscience not to wait for their elected officials to make change, but be the change themselves. And so what I'm advocating for in Loyola is for us as a community of healthcare care uh, providers in this healthcare ministry called Loyola University, medical center to 
um, to authorize ourselves and, and, and um, um, empower ourselves to volunteer and, and provide uh, support for our community. And I think that other hospitals can do the same thing. Other individual citizens can do the same thing. You know, we have to, uh, uh, there was a young man who, uh, one, one of our pediatric patients who was killed um, by gun violence, gang gun violence. And um, his family asked me to speak at his funeral. And here I was, my task was to address this, uh, this neighborhood really of, of families with a lot of young men in the room. And I asked them, by a show of hands, how many people are changed by what you've seen today? And the, the room was full of raised hands. And I said, if that's the case, then authorize yourself to make the change that, you, that we need because we are more and mightier than they. Our communities are being held hostage by few people with a lot of guns. And we can, working locally, we can change that. Well, doctor, I'm going to ask you to do the activist thing. If you could change one thing right now that could make a difference for these families, for the communities, what would it be? I really think part of it is going after that norm that violence is okay. Education providing outlets, safe places to go so that violence doesn't have to be the answer. The, the idea of I get in an argument over Facebook or I get in an argument and I pull out a gun or I get a stick and hit someone instead of talking it out, when, where did we lose our skills, our interrelations with people, and how do we make that change? hopefully by changing norms of vi- around violence and making it clear that it's not okay, making it clear that, yes, it happens in your neighborhood, but we can take those actions that, Dr. that Reverend Hayes has suggested and be the people that make change locally, and then that grows from local to more global. Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder, uh, Reverend Hayes, if it's not that, Somewhere along the line, we lost the value of, of a human life, whether it's someone else's life or maybe even our own, that the people don't think that losing a life is as, I mean, it, it's a life-changing experience, either taking one or losing somebody, but it doesn't, it seems that people have kind of accepted that it just happens. They've accepted that it happens and What's even more concerning is that our youth in our neighborhoods here in Chicago, some of them just believe that that it is supposed to happen to them. Mm. Urban Hayes, what 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 what's what's your feeling about how how do you get people to see a value in their lives and in the lives of others? Well, I turn to faith, and I I turn to um, um, the the words of scripture. I know uh, that there are many ways that we can see the humanity in each other. Uh, one thing, we, we, we live in a very segregated city. Um, so some, uh, oftentimes people feel like the danger is in that neighborhood. 
and not in my neighborhood. If we can embrace this entire city as our own, that would take us a long way towards uh, reconciliation and mutual ideas uh, for how we can overcome this this problem. Yeah, that sounds like a a very very big mission. Uh, and we only have about thirty seconds left. What's the, what's the next step at Loyola? Is there is there something that well, well what we're what we're pulling together now, Craig, and we're in the early stages of it, but uh, an interdisciplinary task force. Uh, representing all, a lot of medical specialties and the different uh, departments in our hospital so that we can work in a, in a concerted way uh, uh, about uh, this issue and, and bring uh, more accountability to our efforts and not duplicate it. That's going to be the final word. Thank you to Loyola Medical Center's Dr. Kristen Donaldson and Medical Center Chaplain Reverend Michael Hayes for spending the half hour with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you're... If you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. All star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.